get, I'll get the money somehow. Then Tommy screamed with pain, struggling to keep conscious as red-hot waves of nausea washed over him. Get up, Tommy. Slowly he dragged himself to his feet, his arm hanging awkwardly against his side. You've got seven days to find the money. Now piss off. Joe the fish listened avidly to everything Michael said to him. The arm was good and broken? Yeah. Joe the fish sighed. Like Michael, he had started out as a breaker, a heavy, until he'd built up his own business. From January, I want you to take over the breaking side of the business. Michael stared at Joe and he shook his head in amazement. Thanks, Joe. Bloody hell. Dropping heavily onto his knees, Joe placed his hands on Michael's thighs, rubbing and kneading them, his breath coming heavily. Michael stifled an urge to slam his fist into Joe's head. He couldn't go back now. Joe was his ticket out of Notting Hill, his passport into a new world of real villainy. Gritting his teeth, he lay back in the chair and forced himself to relax. Joe watched Michael dressing in the firelight, his heart bursting in his breast. In his mind's eye, he relived their lovemaking of a few hours before and the picture of Michael lying underneath him. See you tomorrow, then. Michael's voice was gentle and caressing. He favoured Joe with one of his blinding grins. Pulling himself up from the floor, he stood before the dying fire, his short, fat legs and large stomach making Michael feel sick inside. Michael smiled at him and quietly left the room. This was a new beginning for the Ryans. He was going to pick them up out of the gutter and establish them in the moneyed world where he knew they belonged. After a large, noisy Christmas dinner later that day, Michael sat with his sister Maura, asleep on his lap. As he looked down at her sleeping face, sucking contentedly on her thumb, he swore that he would commit murder if it kept his family as happy as they were now. It was a promise he was to keep many times. It was three in the afternoon when Roy brought Janine into the house. It was the first time he had brought a girl home, and both he and Janine were nervous. He led her by the hand into his mother's kitchen. As usual, Sarah was cooking. Mum, I'd like you to meet Janine. Janine Grierson. Sarah needed time to think. Grierson? Grierson? Where did she know that name from? Then, like a bolt out of blue, it came to her. Her father owned the butcher's shop in Portobello Road. He had also owned the house next door to Christie's round in Willington Place. What on earth was Janine doing with her Roy? Janine's pregnant, Mum, and I'm the father. Michael and Geoffrey walked into the spacious hallway as if they owned the house. Opening the parlour door, James Grierson ushered them inside. I understand, Mr Grierson, that my brother Roy has been shunting your daughter. Geoffrey watched the red flush creep up on James Grierson's neck and continue until it reached his receding hairline. In three weeks' time, Mr Grierson, my brother is going to marry her, with or without your permission. Personally, I would advise you to give him your blessing. Three weeks later, on the first Saturday of July, James Grierson gave away his only daughter to Roy Ryan. It wasn't until after the reception, once home in his bed, that he finally gave way to the tears that had been building up inside him since Michael's visit. He felt he had taken his only child like a lamb to the slaughter. It would be twenty years before he discovered how right he had been. Michael was fuming, his blue eyes dark with anger. He rubbed one hand across his face and stared stonily at Joe. Look, Michael, you had no right to borrow any money behind my back. This is my business. 
So it's your business now, is it? Don't let's worry about the money I've brought in. Normally Joe would have let Michael have his head, but his latest flouting of the rules had angered him. He had loaned £5,000 to Philip Wreck, one of the most notorious villains in Paddington, and in Joe's mind Michael had more chance of getting the Pope's inside leg measurement than he had of getting that money back. All right, Michael, I'll let it go this time, but in future you come to me. Joe got out of his chair and walked around the desk. Standing behind Michael, he began rubbing his taut, muscular shoulders. Feeling the solid flesh between his fingers, he felt himself harden, completely unaware that Michael was planning his demise. Roy had been working for his father-in-law since three weeks after his wedding, and he hated it. He couldn't do the job. He knew it. His father-in-law knew it. But it was all part of the grand master plan, how to keep your daughter at home. They lived with Mr and Mrs Grierson, they ate with Mr and Mrs Grierson, and they watched from the sidelines as Mr and Mrs Grierson between them brought up the baby, Carla. Hello, bruv. Roy was brought out of his reverie by Michael's voice. Hello, Mickey. Fancy skiving off for a few hours? James Grierson came down the stairs that led to the flat above the shop. What's all this row about? I've got to shoot off for a couple of hours. You what? This is a bloody business here, not a bloody knocking shop where you can pick your own hours. His voice faltered as he saw Michael. Who do you think you're talking to? Then walking to where Grierson was cowering against the wall, Michael grabbed him around the throat. If you ever talk to my brother like that again, I'll rip your nuts off and ram him down your throat. Do you understand what I'm saying? They walked into the red warmth of the Kensington Park Hotel. Michael ordered them both hot whiskies and they settled down in the lounge bar. There's something wrong, isn't there? Come on, bruv. I don't know, Mickey. Since Carla was born, it's as if I don't exist anymore. Janine and her mum and her dad act like she never got married. I'm not a butcher, Mickey. I ain't looking at the meat. I ain't touching it. Michael was getting annoyed. Why don't you give her a right-hander? Show her who's boss. Tell her old man to go stuff his bloody butcher shop up his jacksy. Why don't you come and work for me? I'd jump at the chance, you know that. I settled then. He looked at his watch. From 2.25 today, you are a working member of the Ryan dynasty. They both laughed. Anthony and Geoffrey worked for Michael already. Now he had Roy. Geoffrey and Anthony were sitting at the end of Penzance Gardens, where it met Princedale Road. It was nearly 2.15 in the morning. They sat in a black humber snipe. Both were freezing and both were nervous. The man who was walking towards them stepped into the light of the street lamp. It was Joe the fish. Pushing his foot down on the accelerator, Anthony thrust the car forward. Joe turned in time to see the car coming at him. He raised his hand as if to protect himself as the car hit him full on. Anthony ran the car over him one more time before speeding off. Inside a private house in Beecham Place, Knightsbridge, Michael picked up his cards and studied them carefully. If everything had gone according to plan, then Joe was well and truly out of the picture, and he, Michael, had the perfect alibi. If Geoffrey and Anthony had bungled the job tonight, he would personally batter their brains out. At Joe's funeral a week later, the police noted that all the gang bosses stopped to pay their respects to Michael Ryan. He was well and truly established now. That, together with the fact that Joe had willed him everything he possessed, made Michael Ryan a very happy man.
The elder of the two policemen smiled at Sarah, but she dropped her eyes and tried to busy herself at the sink. Every nerve in her body was jangling. Every time the police visited her house, she felt a heavy sickness inside her. Maura and Benny carried on eating. Benjamin Ryan shuffled into the kitchen in his trousers and string vest, his braces hanging down the sides of his legs. What the fuck do you want? We've got some bad news for you concerning your son Anthony. What about my Anthony? Scaped, has he? I'm sorry to tell you, Mr Ryan, that your son is dead. Sarah's hand went to her chest and she struggled to find breath. He was stabbed to death this morning in Penderville Prison, in the showers. We're doing everything possible to find the people responsible. Sarah's sobbing was building to a crescendo. The younger policeman was watching her, fascinated. The voices had been going on all evening. Maura could not sleep. She slipped out of the bed where her mother was snoring softly. The doctor had been in and given her some sleeping pills. The front room door was slightly open and she pressed her face to the crack. Her eldest brother, Mickey, was walking up and down the room, talking. His face set in a dark scowl. Maura loved Mickey. He was her favourite brother. He was like a god to her. Now, though, she was seeing a Mickey that she didn't know. His teeth were gritted together and he had dark circles under his eyes. He looked ferocious. I swear I'll kill the bastards. So help me God, I'll kill him. Calm down, Mickey, calm down. This from Geoffrey. Michael stopped abruptly in his pacing and punched the wall. I'd rather have given the bastards the cab ranks than see Anthony dead. Geoffrey sighed. What we've got to decide is how to retaliate.